0: You are listening to Creating Phenomenal for Your Life, episode number 55 The Risk of Being Wrong. This is Creating Phenomenal for Your Life. I'm your host, Dina George MD, a lover of learning, a life and weight loss coach, and a family medicine doctor. This podcast is about mindset what contributes to a life that thrives versus one that is stuck? We'll talk about many things some related to coaching, some related to health, and some related to your questions, thoughts, and prompts. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to celebrate where we're at and give form to where we're going in our perfectly imperfect journey to a phenomenal life and give high fives along the way. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. We're at one year plus one week, and I had the best birthday ever, and here's why. I got to see or hear from my favorite people, release a one-year anniversary podcast, and what a difference a year makes. No joke. (laughs) I also got to work as a doctor by choice. Isn't that the best way to work? By choice. Signing up. And even got to discharge some people home, which is a celebration. So I have opened up a lot of possibility for this year ahead, and it's awesome. Thanks for being here today. A few weeks ago, I was thinking about how to expand my network and thought about reaching out to one of our state organizations. And here's what followed. Oh, I don't want to join that organization. Wait, what? Why would that thought automatically come up? Like, I don't even know what the opportunities are, but why wouldn't I join if there's an opportunity to share and learn and grow and help others? You see how my brain works? How it tries to pass things off as real and true and stay safe, don't grow, that was a smooth one. Does your brain work the same way? It means we're human and that we have to stay alert, my friends. (laughs) So here we are, year two. Is there anything else to talk about or did we cover everything? Based on what I just shared about my mind, I'm thinking there's more to do and more to share. So how about today we talk about the risk of being wrong. This recently has come up a lot. And you know how I know? Cuz I'm human. And because I've been working with medical students and it comes up a lot there. And do you know where the pressure to be perfect where it exists? And medical school. First the bad news. It's heartbreaking how much pressure our medical culture puts on the next generation and how it's amplified within them to have the right answer, the perfect answer, the first answer, how crushing it is to their psyche when they get it wrong, and then how much they bash themselves if they don't get it right, or they don't get it fast enough. I see it, that look of defeat, that fear, if they don't have 100% certainty, that fear of answering a question, and they stumble, and they kind of mumble, And they answer in the form of a question like this, hyponatremia? (laughs) Or they forget the question and maybe start asking questions to gather more information to see how they can answer it perfectly. And if they don't have a perfect answer, then some don't even want to try. Oh, I don't know. It's easier to respond that way. Oh, I don't know. Heartbreaking. These are America's brightest young men and women. And it happens to them. Doesn't happen to you? I would guess so. Maybe not at the same level, but I would guess so. Now here's the good news. A few of them got to practice being wrong. They were encouraged to be wrong. They were encouraged to voice an answer and not critique it before it was spoken. All right, let's take a step back first. So much respect for the students that I worked with. They're committed, responsible, hardworking, and smart. And our patients enjoyed them and thanked them. And if the student was off for a day, the patient would say, where are they? I miss seeing them. And I think it speaks so well for their character. Okay, back to our story. What I know now in 2019 is that reinforcing a belief or a practice that one has to be perfect is a true, beautiful setup for failure And it leads to a great fall, a harsh fall, a painful fall. And before that fall, a lot of overworking and overthinking and losing out on seeing and experiencing the beauty of the practice of medicine. If you're a physician, my hope is that you experience the beauty, the soul-touching purity of what we are able to do. And there is so much beauty to be able to serve people in a critical time in an area of their life. And what do we really have in life? I think we have two things. We have our health and our faith. And we as doctors, we get to impact one of those. Isn't that amazing? We get to form relationships that may span years. We get to partner throughout life, assist with bringing in new life, walking with people in their older years to the end of life and celebrate the triumphs and the tragedies along the way. We get to be lifelong learners and see how much medicine has changed and grown. Back when I was a medical student, so we're talking early 2000s, estrogen was the answer for everything for postmenopausal women. We know better now. We know what the research has shown now. And it's exciting to see that, along with the new devices, new medications, new ways to prevent disease. We also get to collaborate with the best and the brightest in other specialties. Here's a sampling of my recent hospitalist patients. Heart rate in the 30s and 40s needed a pacemaker. Heart failure, meaning the heart not effectively pumping fluid, and it's getting backed up in the lungs or other places in the body. Complicated infections, including the gallbladder, urinary tract, and bloodstream infection. Metastatic cancer, which means advanced cancer that has spread to other areas. This was a tough one. For some, there were no options. For some, there were maybe an option or two. And for other, terrific options. Worsening kidney function, meaning already bad kidneys that become worse and start to tiptoe along that line of is dialysis needed or not. And let's not forget about bleeding. (laughs) Bleeding. intestinal bleeding, urinary tract bleeding. There was a time a couple of years ago before I left full-time hospitalist medicine that I was keeping score. It was patient versus GI bleed. (laughs) When I stopped keeping score, GI bleed still had not had a victory, and I'm so glad. So you can see the level and the amount of partnering, general surgery, nephrology, GI, cardiology, infectious disease, oncology urology pretty awesome pretty humbling to be able to influence the trajectory of people's lives based on the health care that they receive to be able to be part of that and to collaborate with others there's no other profession that offers this it's incredibly humbling I graduated medical school in 2003 and so thankful to be at this stage of my career to see what is possible from all of the training, the years, the practice, and most important, all of the patients. What I want for medical students is to be proud of their decision to enter medicine. Did you know that many of them, and maybe even most of them, are going into debt hundreds of thousands of dollars to obtain their dream? their dream to be a doctor, to practice medicine, to treat patients. What I want for them is to slow down and understand that they are learning and training to serve the patient. That's going to be their ultimate test. Yes. They're going to take a million tests before then, but can they serve the patient in front of them? That's who they work for and it's imperfect. It's an imperfect science because you're human and we are taking care of humans. One day we were planning our day and here's a mini talk that I gave. Patients are going to want to know when they'll get better, why this happened, what's going to fix it, and why is it not fixed already. And here's my response. Imagine that the human body is a car. Medical school gave me a manual that states this is how a car works, any general car. It doesn't tell me how a Volvo works or a Porsche works or a Ferrari works. And it doesn't tell me who's a Volvo, a Porsche, or a Ferrari. It just tells me how a car works. And there's a lot of similarities between those cars, right? They're a car. There's also a lot of differences. And that's what we have to figure out. And we do it based on what we know, what we anticipate, what we've tried, what we've learned and putting it all into context. So why do I tell you all of this background and why start with that mini talk with the medical students that day to take the pressure off of being perfect? There is no answer. It's not a multiple choice question. It's a person in front of us that needs help. And one size will never fit all. My generic car manual is going to give me a place to start. It's going to teach me what questions to ask. It's going to give me tools to use to help answer those questions of the patient. So let's get back to our topic, the risk of being wrong. So why does it matter? If you're wrong, so what? Think about that for a moment. Why does it matter to you? Who cares? Why is it a big deal? I'm going to pause just for a moment. I really want you to think about it. If you walked up to me with an answer and I said, no, that's wrong, where does your mind go? What floods in to fill that space? And the goal of this question is to personalize this episode for you, to find out what it means to you. Why does it matter to you? It's to bring out your stuff. That stuff to work through. That stuff that's cluttering your mindset and keeping you from growing. Because you're here, you wanna grow, right? So, what is it? Is it embarrassment? Shame? Will you be less than your coworkers or your classmates or your family members? If you're wrong, does it mean you're incompetent? Do you always get things wrong? And here's another example or more evidence. Does it mean that you're never going to get ahead? What I find with medical students, they don't even want to risk being wrong. Like we don't even get to that point of they are wrong. They can't risk it. Their brain may come up with a possible answer and unless there's a 100% certainty, in sets this really thick fog. Doubt, confusion, overwhelm. They come in, they tell the student, oh, it's okay. Just say you don't know. Ask a question. Cover it up. Distract. Hide. Just wait. They'll tell you the answer. It's okay. Can you see what's going on? Fear and doubt have taken over, and they've really convinced the person that they're they're worthy of being there, and then the judgment, oh, I can't say that. That's wrong. I can't be wrong. I'm sure it's a protective judgment. Don't stand out. Don't be the one. It's easier to judge our thoughts and our responses rather than force a decision and answer a question. It's also easy to compare ourselves to others and come up short and stay quiet. Oh, just let them answer. They know the right answer. They always do. That means we come up short. We don't even try. In summary, it's easier to stay the same. Except you don't really learn as much in ease and comfort. We don't push ourselves. We don't trust ourselves. We don't build trust in ourselves or the process. We focus on appearance and how we feel rather than reality. We don't want to be uncomfortable, right? That's part of our humanity. Here's what happens when we don't risk being wrong, we stop asking questions like really important questions that could change everything, that can give us a clue on what test we need to rule in or rule out, what test is going to help to shape a diagnosis or lead to a diagnosis. We're not seeing the patient or hearing the patient if we're worried about being wrong. I remember wrestling with this during residency. I was afraid to ask questions that I didn't have the answer to or that had an answer that scared me. Like, what if it's aortic dissection? I don't know how to manage that. What am I going to do? Scary. I don't think I'm the only one who thought that way. So one day I was in the neonatal ICU with a baby that I had the privilege of delivering that had challenges after birth and was examining and noticed, oh, they look kind of jaundiced. I wonder what their bilirubin level is. I wonder if it's high. Mm, Should I check it? Nah. And then just doubts and confusion. It's a simple question. Billy Rubin. It's a simple blood test. But my brain, just doubt and confusion and overwhelm. No, the neonatologist they must not have thought it was important. And then I decided to play with the question and flip it around. Is there any reason why I shouldn't check this? And that was followed by this big sigh of relief. Like, ah. Oh, when I ask it that way, it seems so obvious and simple. So I answered it. There's no reason I shouldn't check it, which means yes, I should check it. And then I tried it out on the neodontologist. Hey, I'm noticing this. Is there any reason I shouldn't check the bilirubin level? And they said, Oh, yeah, well, you can. Okay. That's a vote of support. So it worked. I could ask a clear question and answer it myself. And I could ask the same question to somebody above or around me. And having already answered it myself, I could learn something. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe it was. That time it wasn't. But maybe for other questions it was no. I want to learn why. That's going to be a tool for me to hang on to for other patients. Let's say we have a different patient, one with an abnormal heart rhythm like atrial fibrillation that's going fast. I've reviewed what's going on. They're already on a certain medicine. Then I can start thinking, is there any reason why I cannot give digoxin? And then I can look to answer that question. And then I can talk with the specialist and say, here's what I see. Here's what I know. Is there any reason I can't do this? And asking it that way, what my experience has shown is that others give me what they think is the best answer. Well, you could for these reasons, but you could also do this. And I'm open to learning. So flipping the question around helped me to push my brain into a decision and present it to others that helped them move into a decision, helped us to move forward. It helped me to stop perseverating. To focus on what's relevant and make something useful out of it so we can move on. These past few weeks, here's what I offer to our students. Force your mind to review the data and make a decision. Set up tools that you can go to and systems you can rely on to make decisions. To know what your options are. And when you don't know, look it up. And you know what? Throughout our time together... I would say, well, what is that? I don't know. What are you going to do? I'm going to look it up in Hippocrates. Perfect. Perfect. There's no magic. There's a system. There's a tool. You don't have to rely on magic. The more willing you are to be wrong, willing to be scared and say it anyways, the stronger you're going to be as a resident, the better you're going to take care of patients because you will have had so much practice a great fund of knowledge, lots of tools you can use, resources that you can use that you don't have to be afraid of either the question or the answer. And the same is true for all of us. If you're a medical student or not, it doesn't matter. The same is true. So get over yourself. <laughs> I say that with utmost respect. Stop working to control what other people think about you. Move your thinking beyond the fog of doubt and fear and uncertainty. The way that we hurt others is to indulge in confusion, to not communicate clearly, to not partner with others, to not ask relevant questions that can provide beautiful context, and to be afraid of the answers. Risk. And for medical students before we worked together, it was better to risk nothing and not answer than it was to risk being right. And with encouragement to take the risk, to say what they know, so that we could either reaffirm it, reaffirm that their understanding is correct and why, or identify a deficit. Both of those are so important to have a solid foundation for them to move forward. I want to pause for just a moment. For those who are not familiar with medical students, so these are students that have graduated from college. They have a degree. They have gone on to professional school. And by the time that I meet with them, they're at least a year through a four-year program and sometimes farther along. So they've had more basic sciences, pathophysiology, pharmacology, which means medication. They've sat in the classroom to learn ethics, They've learned physical exam skills, and they're in the middle towards the end of their schooling to really put it into context for the person in front of them. The physician that they work with is always the responsible one. Students never decide treatment. They don't write orders. They're they're there to learn. They're there to start thinking like a doctor. They contribute, certainly, but they are not decision makers in any capacity. And this is exactly the time that I want them to risk being wrong because they have no capacity to harm anyone. The stakes are so low. All they risk is what another person, what their attending physician is going to think of them. Maybe it'll affect their grade. Maybe it'll affect their recommendation, but it could do so very positively. Learning how to manage the discomfort of being wrong at that point And learning new ways of assimilating information, learning new tools and resources to support decision making. Maybe they go back and review their prior lectures that didn't quite make sense. This is exactly the time we want them to do it. After medical school, when they have their degree, they're going to be making decisions, writing orders for treatment. The stakes are higher. So I share this with you so that you know a medical student when they're working with you as a patient, rest assured, the attending physician is providing your care. Okay, back to our story. It's uncomfortable to be uncertain. You always get to choose how to handle that discomfort. You may go on autopilot and you can see where that takes you. Doing nothing invites fear and doubt and encourages them to stay there. And they will pretend to be soothing the situation, but truly they are keeping you stuck. Pushing your mind to make a decision, to evaluate the evidence, is going to build a stronger you. A more competent you. A better collaborator and communicator. And a better advocate for your patient or your client or the medical student that's working with you. And the way to manage discomfort of any source, including that risk of being wrong and the discomfort associated with it, we talk about this in every podcast. First, start with acknowledging what's going on. So like when my mind went to, I don't want to join that organization, that instant response, I questioned it. So question your thinking. Acknowledge what's going on. Pause. Say, hmm, look at that. And then once you catch on, open up your toolbox. See what's in there that can help you. It's really that simple and that complex at the same time. If you're a medical student or a student of any kind, working through the fog of uncertainty, that's what's going to set you apart from others in a way that serves others phenomenally well. So there you go. Just like that, we have reached the end of another episode. All my best, my friends. Here's to another year of decluttering the mind, growing abundance, and creating a truly phenomenal life. Ciao. Are you ready for coaching? Ready for more in your life? Want to see what's possible? Then message me at Facebook, Dina George MD Coaching. I look forward to hearing from you.